is. Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I am James Barty in Washington. Today is Monday, November 7th, and here are some of the stories we are covering. The UN Climate Conference, also known as COP27, opens amid dire predictions of the action. Distinguished delegates, ladies and gentlemen, it gives me great pleasure to declare open the 27th session of the Conference of the Parties to the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. The Somali government says it killed 21 Al-Shabaab militants. A pro-coup coalition forms in Sudan with hopes of breaking the country's political stalemate. Kenya's first-ever female vice presidential nominee petitions the East African Court of Justice. 19 are there after a plane crashes in Lake Victoria in Tanzania. The ATRA 42 aircraft was flying from the city of Dar es Salaam to the Kagera region before it crashed into Lake Victoria. And we'll speak with a reporter from the Gambia who is covering tomorrow's U.S. midterm elections. Those stories, plus Samson O'Malley's polls, are coming up on Daybreak Africa. The United Nations Climate Summit, also known as COP27, opened Sunday in Sham el-Sheikh, Egypt, as officials predict catastrophic consequences of inaction and pledge to begin the work of helping the people most devastated by climate change. Farmers not far from the conference in Egypt say help cannot come fast enough. Viewers Heather Murdoch reports from Istanbul. When Hud Assad was a child here in Egypt's Nile Delta, the weather was moderate, and crops fetched prices high enough to make a comfortable living. Now the weather is hellish. In the daytime it is hot, and at night it is freezing. The plants are pinched by this weather. It is not good. This is the problem with farming now. The Nile Delta is Egypt's most important farming area. It is already suffering from rising seawater, robbing locals of valuable land. And as the UN Climate Conference, known as COP27, opened in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt on Sunday, leaders said they planned to focus efforts on getting funding in place to help people cope with extreme weather in the world's hardest-hit places, which have seen unprecedented fires, floods, and storms this year. I particularly welcome the agreement of the parties to include a new agenda item on funding arrangements to respond to loss and damage. Leaders are expected to disagree on if or how rich nations should compensate poor countries for climate disasters. Officials say the talk's most critical goal is implementing the plans made in the 2015 Paris Agreement, which aims to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius by the end of the century. And although the rulebook for how to do this has been established, according to delegates, most countries have not put forward comprehensive plans. The UN says now, more than ever, the consequences of inaction could be devastating, with deadly heat waves, rapidly rising seas, and melting glaciers threatening lives and livelihoods on every continent. For some people, it may be possible to adapt to new weather, says Saad in the Nile Delta, but not without resources. 
If the weather is beautiful, you will get nice crops. But if it's like this, the plants are ruined and you can't find something to sell. Saad says other world crises are deepening the strain caused by climate change for poor families, like high prices on fertilizer and currency devaluation. Heather Murdoch, VOA News, Istanbul. In Tanzania, at least 19 people are dead after a small passenger plane plunged into Lake Victoria on Sunday during bad weather. The plane, carrying 43 people, was on approach to the airport in the northwest city of Bukoba. Rescue and recovery operations are underway. Charles Kumbe reports from Dar es Salaam. 43 people were on board the aircraft, including two pilots and two cabin crew, as well as 38 adult passengers and one infant. The ATRA-42 aircraft was flying from the city of Dar es Salaam to the Kagera region before it crashed into Lake Victoria. The plane, operated by Precision Air, crashed about 100 meters from the Bukoba airport where it was supposed to land. Video shared on social media shows the plane almost fully submerged in the water as rescue teams and fishermen in small boats tried to reach the passengers. Emergency workers and civilians also used the small boats and ropes to pull the aircraft closer to the shore of Lake Victoria, Africa's largest lake. According to the airline, a team of investigators and officials from the airport authority were sent to the area to join the efforts. Patrick Mwari is the managing director of Precision Air. He says, we have opened our crisis management center with the country's rescue authorities, ensuring that the rescue operation goes well. Mwari adds, we have also established two information centers for communicating with the victims' families, one in Bukoba and the other here in Dar es Salaam. These will be used to inform the passengers and families of victims of the necessary updates, he added. Kagera Regional Commissioner Albert Chalamila has been monitoring the situation. Chalamila says, we still have communications with pilots inside the plane. So he added that, we are continuing to pray to God, and through the technologies, we have informed our leaders on the issue. In a Twitter post, Tanzanian President Samia Sulu Hassan asked the citizens to maintain calm. The president wrote, I have received with sadness the news of the accident involving Precision Air's plane. She added, let's be calm at this moment when rescuers are continuing with the rescue mission while praying to God to help us. Charles Kombe, for VA News, Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. A traffic accident on Sunday in the Guinean rural town of Linsan has killed at least 22 people and left many more wounded. According to provincial authorities, a minibus carrying several students collided with a truck. A government communicates that specialized services were being mobilized to assist the bereaved families and that an investigation into the cause of the accident is underway. The Somali government says its elite soldiers have killed 21 Al-Shabaab militants in an operation that took place in the country's lower Shabela region. Mohamed Dyerson reports from Mogadishu. In a statement Sunday, the Ministry of Information said that it is elite soldiers from the National Intelligence and Security Agency, or NISA, conducted a fresh operation 
against the Al-Qaeda-affiliated militant group Al-Shabaab, killing 21 fighters and wounding 10 others. The operation took place after the intelligence forces received a tip saying Al-Shabaab was planning to carry out attacks to harm the Somali people. According to the statement, the planned operation took place in the village of Galka Salimo in the lower Shabella region. The government did not say if the operation was an airstrike or a ground operation. The operation was executed as planned and destroyed all militants who were there plotting against the people of Somalia, said the statement issued by the Information Ministry. In the statement, the government said that 200 Al-Shabaab militants were killed in four days. VOA could not independently verify the claim. The new operation comes a day after a suicide bomber blew himself up near a military training facility in the capital Mogadishu, killing several people. Al-Shabaab claimed responsibility, saying it killed 105 soldiers. Military sources told VOA Sunday that 15 new recruits were killed in the attack. Meanwhile, Somalia's religious advice ministry issued a statement banning religious scholars from having dealings with the group and said that Al-Shabaab should be called a deviant sect. Somalia has been grappling with security threats for years with Al-Shabaab Islamists being one of the main threats in the country. The militants have increased their attacks since President Hassan Sheikh Mahmoud took office in May and vowed an all-out war against Al-Shabaab. The group has been fighting in the Horn of Africa nation, targeting Somali government officials and African Union peacekeepers since 2007. Mohamed Daisane for VOA News, Mogadishu. You are listening to Daybreak Africa on The Voice of America. I am James Barty in Washington. Today is Monday, November 7th. And still to come on our program, Samson O'Malley's Pause. Months ago, Raila Odinga and his running mate Martha Karua lost Kenya's August 9th election to now President William Ruto. The Kenyan Supreme Court dismissed their petition challenging the results. Karua, the first ever Kenyan woman vice presidential nominee, vowed to take her case to the East African Court of Justice. She did just that on November 3rd. Karua says she wants the regional court to order the Kenyan Supreme Court and the Independent Electoral and Boundaries Commission to investigate her claims of electoral irregularities in the 2022 presidential election. She tells me that the purpose of her petition is to protect the rule of law and future electoral integrity in Kenya. Our main complaint is that the state of Kenya, being a member of the East African community and having signed the treaty, is not following the rule of law principle and also democracy. And our complaint is about two organs of the government, namely the electoral body, which we call the Independent Electoral and Boundaries Commission of Kenya, and the judiciary. And for the Electoral Commission, our main complaint is that 
they did not follow the law. The laws of Kenya, that is the constitution and the laws under it, in preparing and conducting the elections, and by so doing, they violated the rule of law and democracy principle. For the judiciary, we are again saying they did not follow the Kenya constitution and the electoral laws in determining the electoral dispute before them. Let me say, Honorable Karua, the Kenyan Supreme Court already investigated these allegations and found no evidence. So what can the East African Court of Justice do? We disagree with the Supreme Court, and we say so immediately. And we therefore say the Supreme Court dispensed injustice to us, including ignoring evidence, failing to properly interpret the Constitution and the law, failing to enforce our rights and the rights of citizens. This is taking the debate further, testing the conduct of the two organs of government and also holding them to account. That's why the regional courts exist. It is to encourage each other to follow the rule of law and democracy, which are the foundational principles. So I'm doing what a dutiful and engaged citizen must do in the circumstances. After all, tomorrow there will be elections. Are we going to have them under the same cloud? And what does that mean to the voter? Mr. Raila Odinga, your running mate, does he support your decision to petition the East African Court of Justice? Yes, he's aware of it and he does. Honorable Karua, what do you say to those who may argue that uh, you, as the first ever woman vice presidential candidate, might have closed the door for women advancement in Kenyan politics just by this decision? I would tell them I do not understand where they are coming from or their reasoning. If by going petition for adjudication of rights in court, if that becomes a negative step, then it can only be to the ignorant. Courts are there to resolve disputes. And you go to court, you get a favorable verdict or not. I am actually furthering the women's chances by standing up for rights. We are in court to ensure that democracy and the rule of law do not die. In Kenya and in East Africa, we are there to enforce the rule of law. Before I let you go, do you have intention to run for president sometime? As long as God gives me breath, as long as I'm healthy, and I pray God continues to give me health, everything is on the table. I've always stated that I have unfinished business with that office. Honorable Karua, it's a pleasure speaking with you, and thank you so much for this opportunity. And as we say, in Swahili, Karibu. That was Honorable Martha Karua, Raila Odinga's running mate during the August 9th presidential elections. She was speaking with us from Nairobi, Kenya. In Sudan, armed groups and supporters of the military coup last year have formed a new political coalition to appeal to marginalized groups. Calling itself the Forces for Freedom and Change Democratic Bloc, or FFCDB, the pro-coup group wants to replace the Forces for Freedom and Change, or the FFC group, which has opposed military rule. Michael Atid reports from Khartoum, Sudan. The alliance announced Thursday says it favors a civilian-led transitional government but opposes renegotiation of the 2020 Juba Peace Agreement. That agreement aims to bring Sudanese armed group that signed it into the transitional government. 
But critics note some groups were left out of the deal, which does not require disarming until after elections. Jibril Ibrahim is Sudan's finance minister and leader of the Justice and Equality Movement, one of the armed groups that signed the Juba Peace Agreement and that joined the new coalition. He's speaking to reporters Thursday in Khartoum. He said no party should dominate the democratic process in Sudan. He says we are not claiming perfection and don't claim that this collision is coming from heaven. However, says Ibrahim, we are ready to present our vision to others and to listen to other opinions. At the same time, he says, we will not accept any party to use its agenda as a veto right against any Sudanese political opponent. Sudan's military coup in October 2021 was widely condemned internationally and inside Sudan. Nuruddin Salahuddin, a member of the Forces for Freedom and Change, dismissed the pro-coup alliance as adding nothing to Sudan's political stalemate. He says every political party has a right to form any coalition that will meet their interests. But what is most important to us, says Salahuddin, is what is the stance of these coalitions on the Sudan's revolution and civilian democratic transition. While blocs supporting the protesters are wary of the new coalition's pro-military stance, some analysts say it could provide a middle ground in a very polarized Sudan. Michael Atit for VOA News, Khartoum, Sudan. Americans vote tomorrow, Tuesday, in midterm elections. The outcome will determine which party, Republican or Democrat, will control the House of Representatives and the Senate. According to the Washington Post, 39 million ballots have already been cast as of Saturday, November 5th. This year, the U.S. Foreign Press Centers, in collaboration with the State Department, has invited journalists from 24 countries, including five from Africa, to observe and report on the elections. Sajo Brito is a VOA stringer from the Gambia. She joins us now from Phoenix, Arizona, one of the battleground states in the 2022 midterm elections. Good morning, Sajo. Welcome to Daybreak Africa. Good morning, James. Thank you very much for having me. So you are here to observe uh, the U.S. midterm election system. How would you describe your assignment or, I would say, observation so far? It has been pretty amazing, um, James. As you know, the American um, electoral process is very different from what we have back in Africa. Um, it's a lot of seats that uh, people are running for. We have the governor's race. We have the Senate race. So it's been a quite um, amazing experience for me getting to learn about the American electoral process and also the issues that are of matters of priority um, to the voters in this forthcoming midterm election. What are some of the issues that you are hearing as you make your visits to the different states? First of all, James, um, this is something that a lot of countries across the world have been dealing and the United States, of course, is no exception. It is inflation, of course. The state where I am right now, which is um, Arizona, Phoenix, their inflation turns at a staggering 13%, so that is something that is really um, worrisome. They also talk about abortion rights uh, in this country. Of course, this is a border state, so illegal immigration also comes up a lot when you talk. To the voters. How many states have you visited so far? 
so far, this is my fourth destination, and from here, I'll be proceeding to Raleigh, North Carolina. The reason why we started in Arizona, Phoenix, is because if you understand the American electoral system, this state has uh, gone from a conservative stronghold to a battleground state. So there are several tight races that are going to be happening. Besides Arizona, did you visit Georgia and uh, which other state? No, we did not visit Georgia. We only visited um, Arizona, and then that will be it. From here, we proceed to North Carolina Rally. How many journalists from Africa that are on this observation assignment? That's correct. We have uh, a couple of journalists from Africa. I think it's about five of us uh, from the Gambia. We have Cameroon, we have Zimbabwe, we have Malawi, and then we have Tanzania. You mentioned two issues, inflation and uh, abortion. How would you describe the passion of the voters as you visit these different states? It depends on who you talk to, um, James. As you know, when you talk to Democrats, these people are obviously pro-choice. And when you talk to um, Republicans, these people do not want abortion and they want it banned. On the other side, if you also talk about illegal immigration, um, Republicans uh, seem to have like a, a more of a pushback when it comes to illegal immigration. As a matter of fact, yesterday I went to a Republican get out the vote rally event and I, I had an interview with this lady. Her name was Sonia, and then she was telling me that she's an immigrant herself in, in the state of Arizona, but she wants to see tougher border controls in the state. Sergio Brito, thank you so much again, and we shall check back with you. Thank you very much for having me, James. That was reporter Sergio Brito of The Gambia. She was speaking with us from Phoenix, Arizona, one of the battlegrounds this in the U.S. 2022 midterm elections. She- It is time now for Daybreak Africa Sports. And here is Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. A very good Monday morning to you, Samson. Good Monday morning to you too, James. We begin the sport in New York, where Evans Chibet and Sharon Lokedi survived brutal heat and humidity to win the New York City Marathon on Sunday. Chibet, who won in Boston this year, won the race in 2 hours, 8 minutes, 41 seconds. Ethiopian Shura Kitata finished second in 2 hours, 8 minutes, 54 seconds. And Dutchman Abdi Nageye took third. Chibet's win completes a Kenyan sweep of the six men's world marathon majors in 2022. In the women's category, Lukedi, making her marathon debut, stayed with the leading park before pulling away in the final stages to win in 2 hours, 23 minutes, 23 seconds. Her coach, Stephen Haas, speaks on her winning strategy. Leading up in, in the build-up in Kenya actually probably helps with this. You know, um, it, it was a little bit warmer um you know that has been in flagstaff in the last couple last couple weeks last couple months um so yeah no i think she was really really confident if you look back at a lot of results she had done really well at uh some warmer weather races in handball news the 25th edition of the african women's handball championship will take place in dakar senegal from the 9th to the 19th of november 2022 ahead of the championship tunisia national women's handball team engaged the algerian national women's team in two friendly marches in the first game played on saturday the tunisians won 25 to 17 and in the 
second game played on Sunday, the Tunisians secured a second win over Algeria, 23-21. And now to netball, where Uganda national female netball team, the She Cranes, won one of their three matches played on Saturday at the Netball Fast Five Series in New Zealand. Uganda had earlier on beaten Jamaica 33-22, but suffered a 49-32 and 38-34 loss to England. Fred Mugerwa is the She Cranes national head coach. Apart from the first game, that uh, maybe we made some errors, uh, which was the last game, but again, the second game, we uh, tried to beef up our, our attacks and whatever, which made us win. In football news, Memelodi Sundowns of South Africa are through to the semi-final stage of the ongoing CAF Women's Champions League Morocco 2022. The Brazilians defeated TP Mezembe of DR Congo 2-0 in their final Group B match played at the Grand Start de Marrakech on Sunday evening. In the other game played on Sunday, Nigerian side Bayasu Queens reached their first ever semi-final in the CAF Women's Champions League following a 3-0 victory over Wadi Degla. And finally, in rugby news, South Africa have crashed out of the T20 World Cup after the Netherlands produced a shock result to beat the Proteas by 13 runs at the Adelaide Oval on Sunday. The South Africa Proteas stumbled 145 to 8 in pursuit of the Netherlands 158 to 4. And that's it on Daybreak Africa Sports. I am Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. It's back to you, James, in Washington. Thank you, Samson. Have a good Monday. And that's it for this Monday, November 7th edition of Daybreak Africa. On behalf of the Daybreak